0: And this week I get to continue our series on Mark chapter 14. We're getting close to the end. So in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is getting closer to the cross. And his his time is coming near. Uh, His hour is approaching. His hour of suffering and his hour of death. The very thing that he came to do, to die for sinners like me and you, the hour is approaching, and he is longing to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples. And this was going to be his very last meal with his disciples, and he knew it. He knew it, and he had specific, detailed plans of how he wanted that last supper to go with his Disciples. And so I've titled this message, Feasting with Jesus. Feasting with Jesus. God is all for celebration and feast. The kingdom of heaven is described as a banquet with a great feast that, that there's this open invitation for, for all to come and experience the bounty of the kingdom. Right, And as Jesus lived his life, he went to a lot of dinner parties. Actually, the religious community gave him a hard time and, and, and called him a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Because he would go to these dinner parties there where there were some shady folks. and And Jesus influenced them towards righteousness and godliness rather than him being drawn into their sinfulness. But nevertheless, he went and he celebrated and he ate and he drank and he 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 celebrated the goodness of God through meals together. And this is something that in the Old Testament, God commanded the Jewish people to do throughout the year. There were specific feasts that were to be kept by the Jewish people. They were to discipline themselves annually to celebrate these feasts To remember truths about God's redemption and God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And there's something special and intimate about sharing a meal with somebody, isn't there? Isn't it around the table during a meal, lunch or dinner that we get close to one another relationally? At least those of us who turn the TV off and aren't sitting in front of the TV while we're eating, right? Isn't there something special about being gathered around a table where you're enjoying the goodness of God, the bounty of God through food and through the rich relationships that God has provided with you, to, to you? Well, Jesus was longing for this moment. The feast was coming uh, and this was a significant Passover, a significant feast um, also called the feast, of uh, the day of unleavened bread. Uh, let me, let me go ahead and dig in here and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Father, as we open the word, as we look at scripture, would you open our eyes, our spiritual eyes to see wonderful things, to see how good and faithful and amazing and great you are and how, how wonderful the sacrifice of jesus is on our behalf how how glorious the communion and fellowship is that you you've called us into to be with you for all eternity and commune with you for all eternity and may our hearts burn with joy and passion and excitement as we think about these gospel truths here as we remember our lord jesus and the basis ...of our relationship with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 14 in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread... ...when they had sacrificed the Passover lamb... ...his disciples said to him... ...where will you have us go... ...and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them... ...go into the city... And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples sent out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening. He came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table. And eating. Jesus said. Truly I say to you. One of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. And they began. To be sorrowful. And say to him. One after another. Is it I? And he said to them. It is the it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me for the son of man goes for the son of man goes as it was written of him. But woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it. And gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times and he said emphatically if i must die with you i will not deny you and they all said the same this is the word of the lord thanks be to god here's our big idea the loving sacrifice of jesus on our behalf accomplished for us What we could not do for ourselves. What we could not do ourselves. And it is the basis of our friendship with God. Or our communion with God. Regular remembrance of it is to be a central focus for followers of Jesus. I'll say it one more time since it's a long statement. The loving sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf accomplished for us what we could not do ourselves. And is the basis of our friendship with God. Regular remembrance of it is to be a central focus for followers of Jesus. So let's start first of all just talking a little bit about this Passover feast because Jesus had calculated this this um, uh, the timing of this. He was in step with the father. He knew his hour was coming. He knew this was going to be his last meal. And he knew there was something very significant about the Passover meal that the Jewish people celebrated every year. And he was about to to deepen that meaning for the disciples. He was about to introduce a depth of spiritual truth in introducing the new covenant to the disciples during this Passover feast, it's called uh, also the uh, the Day of Unleavened Bread. So the Jewish people had to make bread during the Passover feast without any yeast in it. So all the yeast had to be cleared out of the house because yeast symbolizes sin, and so there has to be diligence to clear the house of all the yeast symbol- symbolically. Prepare and holiness and righteousness let's cleanse the house and prepare uh for the, for this feast and there had to be a lamb a lamb that was that was killed and eaten by the family together during this passover feast this go, goes back to the book of exodus when god delivered the israelites out of egypt after they had been slaves in egypt for over 400 years And God sent plagues upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians and he brought judgment on their false gods. And then the last judgment was the death of the firstborn. And God told the Israelites that they would, that they were to kill a lamb and put the blood of that lamb over the doorpost of each home. And when the angel of death came to take the firstborn in every family, he would pass over every home that had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. So it wasn't enough just to be Jewish to experience that Passover benefit. There had to be the blood of the lamb over the doorpost for the angel of death to pass over the killing of the firstborn. And there was great weeping in Egypt. And it was through this last mighty act of God's justice and judgment on the Egyptians that God brought his people out of Egypt and Pharaoh finally loosened his grip. And of course, we know the story. He started chasing them later on in the Red Sea and God delivered them, the Israelites, through the Red Sea. And so God commanded the Israelites Every single year to never forget this great deliverance that he brought with his mighty hand. God had redeemed them out of bondage. They were to remember where they came from. They were to remember what God had brought them out of. They did not have an opportunity to take one day of rest. God says, I want you to take a day of rest and worship every week. I want you to take a day of rest and worship and remember. Remember the Sabbath and in that time worship and and give thanks and praise. And so there was a weekly rhythm. There was an annual rhythm of remembering. And we need all the help we can get in remembering, do we not? We are, as I mentioned last week, we have a tendency towards spiritual amnesia. We tend to forget the glorious truths That God has shown us the, the truths about His redemption in our lives and the basis for why we're in the family of God in the first place. And so we're called, the Israelites were called to remember and so are we through the elements of communion and we'll get, we'll get to that. So it was at, it was in this context as the, all the Jews would come to Jerusalem during this particular feast for over a week. They would travel, and they, there had to be a lot of plans and preparation involved. No doubt there probably had to be some saving up, and the families had to plan, okay, we're going to make the trek to Jerusalem. We're going to celebrate the Passover together as a family. And so we see Jesus with these plans, and here's, that's my first point, that Jesus had a plan, and he had a detailed plan to celebrate this Passover feast. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was ahead. And he had this detailed plan, which seems to be supernatural knowledge. Okay? It seems to be supernatural knowledge that he knew exactly where this guy would be walking, carrying a jar of water, which was, was kind of odd, because typically the women would carry jars of water. But this guy was carrying a jar of water. And he will meet you and follow him wherever he enters uh say to the master of the house the teacher says where's my guest room and these two disciples <laughs> they they followed the instructions they were obedient we need more disciples like that don't we when jesus calls his people to do something that seems kind of awkward and kind of out of the ordinary like you want me to go follow this guy and then go to the master of the house and tell him hey where's the where's the where's the room that the, the teacher needs uh, the teacher's going to use for the feast uh And and so they did. And Jesus had this all planned out because this was a special night. This was a special time. And he was about to introduce the glorious new covenant to the disciples who would become the apostles. He was introducing to them something huge in redemption history. And they were slowly catching on. And so, so Jesus had these plans. He wasn't out of control. He wasn't unaware. He wasn't caught by surprise in the circumstances. He had these plans. And let me just say this. Feast take plans. Parties and celebrations take a lot of planning and preparations. Do they not? Those of you who host and use your home for hospitality and you host parties or you have people over for dinner to your house, you know that there's planning involved. There's lots of details involved. And sometimes we can get like Martha, you know, all worked up and busy uh, trying to get those uh, preparations made, right? Uh, but nevertheless, there's preparations. And Jesus had a plan for them. The disciples had a part in helping prepare for this holy moment. And by the way, in John's gospel... So all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record a similar uh, story here. There's a few different elements that, that some of them add in. But, but John gives the whole upper room discourse. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and then his prayer, his priestly prayer in 17. And so assignment this week. Go read John 13, 14, 15, and 16. Read that discourse. Read about that holy moment when Jesus knew this is going to be the very last supper with his disciples and he brings his disciples in to the Holy of Holies and he shares with them profound truths and they even get to hear the God the Son praying to God the Father, which some theologians call the Holy of Holies. There's this really pure special holy moment so why did jesus seem to keep his plans under the radar because he didn't just announce it to everyone he just sent two disciples out to go and make these plans and and and, and they went and and did something unusual kind of out of the ordinary uh for these things to come about well some point out that what to first of all to keep from judas Um, to keep the details from Judas who might interrupt the holy moment with a betrayal arrest. Remember, Judas was a thief and he had been taking from the money bag and he was plotting to betray Jesus and looking for the right opportunity, looking for the right place where he knew Jesus would be, where he could tell the Jewish authorities, this is where he's going to be. Jesus didn't want that holy moment interrupted at the Last Supper. And then because of his strong desire to enjoy one last meal with his disciples, Jesus longed for this time with his disciples. He's he's relational. And he wants you and I as well to have intimate communion with him. He also uh, wanted to introduce to his disciples the new covenant and plan to, uh, to regularly commemorate it. He was introducing something to them that they were to do on a regular basis in remembrance of him as a central focus of their worship. And then uh, to make the connection between the Passover Lamb and His atoning sacrifice of his life. You see, this was a strategic time for Jesus to introduce what he was about to do with to to the disciples. So he had a plan, Jesus had a prediction So in this context of this precious holy moment, this intimate moment with his 12 disciples, Jesus predicted that one of them would betray him. Now, I don't know about you, but it's just baffling to me. It's baffling to me that this guy could be one of the 12 See all the miracles that he saw. Experience all the love, all the grace, all the, the kingdom expression coming out of the King of glory on earth, the one who's full of grace and truth, and he's walking with them. And I, it just baffles me that this guy could not be genuine, could, could, could live with a pretense and, 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 and not, it just baffles me that he did what he did. And it baffles me that Jesus knowingly from the beginning, John 6 tells us, knew who would betray him and knew those of those of them who believed in him, that Jesus allowed him to roll with him the whole time and even do miracles and even cast out demons uh there's some there's some divine mystery there. <clears throat> and we also see within this, we see um uh, the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility within this. God knew sovereignly, and this was a part of the plan, this was fulfillment of prophecy that the the friend um Psalm Psalm uh, forty-nine, the even my close friend who ate bread with me. Right? So, so Judas is fulfilling this, this, um, the, 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 the scripture that there would be one who would betray Jesus. And yet he's responsible for his sin. Jesus said it would have been, uh, verse 21. It would have been better for that man. He said, woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born so Charles Spurgeon says this he says a man may get very near to Christ ah may dip his hand in the same dish with the Savior and yet betray him we may be high in office and we may apparently be very useful as Judas was yet we may betray Christ we learn from our Lord's words that divine decrees do not deprive a sinful action of its guilt the son of man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the son is betrayed. He is criminalty. His criminalty is just as great as though he had been, as though there had been no determinate counsel or foreknowledge of God. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. The doom of Judas is worse than non-existence. To have consorted with Christ as he had done and then deliver him into the hands of his enemies sealed the traitor's eternal destiny. I know these are, these are heavy words here, but it's worth us spending the time to ponder. Also to ponder the beautiful response of, of the disciples in that moment. When, when they were announced, when Jesus announced, one of you is going to betray me. They weren't all thinking, oh, we know who it is. It's Judas. We know who it is. We knew it the whole time. They, they didn't. They, they, were, they were surprised. Judas had charge of the money bag. He had responsibility. He had, he had been with them um, the, the whole time. Uh, Charles Spurgeon goes on and he says, It is a beautiful trait in the character of the disciples that they did not suspect one another. But every one of them inquired almost incredulously as the form of the question implies, Lord, is it I? And no one said, Lord, is it Judas? (laughs) Perhaps no one of the 11 thought that Judas was base enough to betray the Lord who had given him an honorable place among his apostles. We cannot do any good by suspecting our brethren. But we may do great service by suspecting ourselves. Self-suspicion is near kin to humility. Is it I, Lord? You know, too often we're so quick To point fingers and point the blame at other brothers and sisters over circumstances without even taking a second thought at our own guilt and our own failure and our own sin. we would do well if we heeded the words of Jesus and we took the plank out of our own eye before we try to get the speck out of our brother's eye. And what a beautiful example and a beautiful prayer to pray. Is it I, Lord? Or Psalm 19 Uh, Or Psalm 139, search me, O God, and reveal any hurtful way in me. Psalm 19, the end of Psalm 19 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And and by the way, this is what we do when we partake of the elements in communion. As the Apostle Paul said, we are to examine ourselves. (laughs) I mean, how many times do we partake of the elements of communion... And we don't think of anything at all that we need to experience forgiveness or cleansing from. Like, it's been great. I don't need to say, forgive me or confess my sins to Jesus because I've been great. Right? Those who don't regularly confess their sins are out of touch with their sinfulness. Jesus taught that that should be a regular part of prayer. Forgive us of our sins. As we forgive those who sinned against us, wronged us, right? And and so when we're, well, yeah, we'll come back to that. So I love how Spurgeon says, self-suspicion is near kin to humility. And this is the posture that we wanna have as we approach the Lord's table. Now notice also the prediction, not only of the betrayer, but also of the rest of the disciples who we would say are faithful and were faithful, but they seem so, frail and faithless when the shepherd got arrested right and jesus quotes scripture as fulfillment of the prophecy and he said you will all fall away for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered where'd they go where did where's the where did these tough guys go who were ready to die for jesus and be with him to the very end. I mean, we see Peter uh kind of leading the charge in that courageous statement, even though all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him. <laughs> "Now Jesus just said you're all going to fall away. And Peter's like, I disagree, Jesus. Everyone else is going to fall away, not me. You need a, you need to qualify that statement because I'm going to I'm going to die for you. I'm going to go all the way for you. It is arrogance when we disagree with God and we lean on our own estimation of ourselves rather than what God says about us. Humility, humility is accepting God's estimation of ourselves, <laughs> right? And, and and so Peter got humbled. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've been humbled like that. And I have felt like Peter so many times thinking that my commitment to jesus is much greater than it really was and through my failure and through my sin and through my brokenness i was able to see how broken i really am and how sinful i really am jesus says truly i say to you i mean here's another detailed prediction i you're gonna this very night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times But still, Peter emphatically said, if I must die, I will not deny you. And then they all followed his lead and they all said the same. Yeah, Jesus, we're going all the way for you, man. We're in this together, right? But what happened? The shepherd got struck and the sheep were scattered. And there's Jesus dying on the cross all alone, doing what only he could do. To bring redemption and salvation to the world. To those who believe in him. He Suffered and died alone in our place. And then we also see Jesus predicting the resurrection and the reunion afterwards. He said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I like in Luke how how um, uh, Jesus told Peter, I believe it's Luke 22. He said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you return, not if you return. <laughs> Jesus knew Peter. He said, when you return, strengthen the brethren, right? And so he he meets Jesus at the end of John. He encounters Jesus post-resurrection, after Jesus is resurrected from the dead in Galilee. He meets Jesus on the water, right? And Jesus graciously Provides breakfast for him. Invites him again to eat with him. To relationship with him. To to be restored and ask him these three questions. Peter, do you love me? (laughs) Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. What's the most pressing issue there? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Jesus in that moment is affirming his call for Peter. His one, one, his commitment to Peter and his call for Peter to be a shepherd in the body of Christ. To feed the sheep. But Peter needed to learn something. He needed to learn not to have trust and confidence in himself, but to have it in Jesus. He needed a lesson about grace. That he stands in the grace of God, not his self-will, not pulling himself up by his bootstraps and saying, yeah, I'll do this for you. Gutting it up. He needed a, to learn about grace, and that's what he wrote about in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He said at the end of first Peter five, he said, may the God of all grace, after you've suffered a while, strengthen, perfect and establish you. Peter need to, needed to learn about the empower, one, the acceptance of God's grace, not based on his performance, but also the empowerment of God's grace that helps us to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. And so we know the story. Peter denied Jesus three times. He's sitting around a fire. There's he's trying to stay warm. He's probably a little scared. Now, of course, at, at first when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulled out the sword and he's ready to fight. Cuts the soldier's ear off, and Jesus tells him to put it away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Right. So he, you know, he had a little bit, you know, uh, in you know, um at, at the beginning, but then. He does exactly what Jesus said would happen and he's sitting around the fire and he just emphatically denies that he doesn't know Jesus to to a little girl who says, aren't you one of those disciples? And he shamefully cowers and says, I don't know that guy. And he even starts cussing. Peter's mouth got him in trouble. Often. The very gift that God had, the thing that God had called him to lead with and preaching and teaching and feeding the sheep with was also... Many times his weakness and where he failed the greatest. So we see Jesus had a plan, Jesus had a prediction, and Jesus had a provision. Okay? Jesus had a provision. And here's, here's where I w- want to spend the most of the time on, <clears throat> on, on this. The provision was his own body. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John proclaimed in John one twenty nine behold the Lamb of God, and that remember the Passover Land had to be spotless. you don 't just give God your leftovers and your second best and your flawed lambs and sheep, right you bring your best, you bring the spotless lamb, and you offer up to God as a sacrifice, and you remember uh, the Jewish people re- were to remember what God has done, bringing them out of Egypt. Showing him, showing them a mighty deliverance. And then they were to take it and they were to eat it and enjoy that lamb. Take it in. And Jesus in that moment does something really profound. Okay. As they're, as they're uh, partaking of the, the, the Seder dinner, the Passover dinner. And as they're, uh, they, they, they take the, the bread of affliction is what they call it. And they remember. Their affliction in Egypt. They eat the bread of affliction and they, they take the, the bitter herbs and they remember the, the bitterness living under the oppression of Pharaoh. They, they, they eat that lamb and they remember that the blood of the lamb that was put over the doorpost of the house and how the angel of death passed over them and God brought them out with a mighty hand. And in that context, In the context when lambs were being sacrificed and the Passover was being celebrated by hundreds of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem to remember God's mighty deliverance. In that moment, Jesus says, I, he says, this take, this is my body, that the bread of affliction. This is my body broken for you. And in the cup, they would drink wine from the cup. There were four cups. Has anybody ever celebrated a Seder dinner? I've had the privilege to be a part of several and even get to lead uh, some of those and uh, walking through some of the ritual. And there's so much symbolism in, in there and so much symbolism that points us to what Paul calls the Passover lamb, Jesus, who is our Passover, First Corinthians 5, uh, 7, I believe. There's so much that just points us to, to Jesus's deliverance. And so he took the bread and he says, this is my body. He took the cup and he gave thanks. He took it. He gave thanks. He gave it to them and they drank it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus tells us here what the significance and the meaning of these elements are for. What they point to. The, 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 the wine, the juice that we partake of every week. Points to the blood of Jesus. And Matthew says. For the forgiveness of sins. He includes Jesus mentioning that as well. That my blood poured out. For, for the forgiveness of sins. Poured out for many. Now remember. In Mark chapter 10 verse 45. Jesus, Which is our key verse in, in Mark. What Jesus said he came to do. For the son of man came to. Serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. That's Luke 19. Uh, the son of man comes to seek and save that which is lost. But Mark 1045, he, He says, for the son of man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's a substitutionary sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. That is Jesus in your place and in my place. And Jesus stepped in and did what only he could do as the spotless lamb of God. Because you and I are just like the disciples in our weakness, in our frailty, and in our sinfulness. We think we're all in, we're, we're fully committed, but it's not our commitment that keeps us, it's Jesus' commitment to us and his grace that saves and keeps us and sustains us and restores us when we fall and we blow it. Amazing grace. And so the Eucharist, this is also called the Eucharist uh which is the a uh, Greek word uh comes from a Greek word Eucharista I believe and it means to give thanks or thanksgiving eucharista uh Eucharist and it means giving of thanks and so in this context when Jesus when Jesus uh implemented the 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 Lord's supper he gave thanks he took bread he broke it and he gave thanks in that moment, now, now this was this was kind of a part of the seder dinner as well, the Passover dinner. There's giving of thanks and there's praising God for His goodness and there's a remembrance. But Jesus is now is saying that His body and His blood are the ultimate means of deliverance and salvation. Not just from Egypt does He deliver, not just from oppressors of Egypt, but from from sin. From Satan and hell. Jesus redeems and ransoms us. And he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. What no one else could do for us but him. Because he's sinless and he's willing and he's able. And so the communion uh, or the Eucharist is also called the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Table, Communion or the Cup of Blessing. John Stott says that the Lord's Supper, as instituted by Jesus, was evidently not meant to be a slightly sentimental forget-me-not. It was rather a drama. It was rather a drama rich in spiritual significance. It's a drama rich in spiritual significance. Where we're, we're, there's these symbols that are pointing. To our, the basis for our relationship with God. The basis of our forgiveness. The basis of our acceptance. J.C. Rowell says. A clear understanding of the Lord's Supper. As we partake of it. Will produce in us true humility. Hopefulness about our souls. And gratitude. Okay. This is what we want when we partake of the elements. As we remember and we reflect on what Christ has We want to have. True humility. It's only appropriate when we realize that we're coming to the table with sins that have been forgiven and that need to be forgiven in the moment. We need cleansing. Forgiveness. So we come with humility because we're met with grace. We're met with mercy. At the Lord's table. And then there's hope. We. The, the response that, that it produces in us, there's hope about our souls because God not only forgives us, but he changes us. And we're looking forward to the kingdom to come. We we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, Paul says, when we, we, when we partake of the elements. And so it's not always going to be like this. And we're not always going to have to struggle with these same infirmities and these same weaknesses and sins and struggles and the brokenness of this post-Genesis world that we live in. And so there's this hopefulness that comes about our souls, that fills our souls, and then gratitude. We give, we give thanks to God. We, we, we remember and we thank God for the redemption. And, and I love that, that we can come to the table when we've had a great week and we've done well and we feel really good about ourselves. But when we, when we've had a terrible week and we've blown it, when we've yelled at the kids or, we cut somebody off in traffic or we got in conflict with a coworker or, or, or maybe we, we, we haven't pursued God in prayer or in scripture reading or maybe we've been selfish and had just bad attitude. We come to the table knowing that we're met with grace there. We're met with forgiveness there. And just like Jesus embraced Peter and restored him. To fellowship. He does it with us as well. And we experience that. We, and we do that every week here intentionally. Okay? We do that every week here intentionally. We partake of the elements because it points us to the gospel of grace. It points us to the basis of our relationship with God and we never want to forget what God has done and we never want to lose our passion and gratitude and joy over what Jesus has done for us and rescuing us and redeeming our lives from the pit of destruction. Eugene Peterson says the focal point of Jesus' work of salvation was sacrifice. The four verbs he used as the Last Supper uh, put salvation into action every time we sit down to a meal. Notice the verbs in the text. During the meal Jesus took and blessed the bread. Broke it and gave it to his disciples. The words are words of sacrifice. We deliberately set ourselves in God's presence at the Lord's Supper. So that we might become like Jesus. Our lives like his are to be sacrificially lived, taken, blessed, broken, and given to others now, of course, our lives can 't atone for someone else's sins like jesus 's life has for us, but we can imitate that sacrificial love to others and imitate that in giving ourselves away to others and allowing ourselves to be poured out and broken for the good of others, of those around us. And lastly, Jesus made a promise here in Mark chapter 14. Look at verse uh, 25. He said, truly, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. He was making a promise. He was making an oath. He was saying, "I'm not going to drink again until until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God." This is kind of like in in the book of Acts when there were people who wanted to uh uh kill Paul and they made an oath, they made a vow not to eat and and, and or drink until until is arrested and and punished and and killed, right? Okay? And so Jesus is saying here, "I'm so committed to you i 'm not going to drink uh, from the vine wine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God until the family of God, the people of God are brought to the table for the feast till all the family members show up until that great day, that great banquet, that great feast. Tim Keller puts it like this, he says when Jesus announces. That he will not eat or drink until he meets us in the kingdom of God. Jesus is promising that he is unconditionally committed to us. Quote, I am going to bring you into the father's arms. I'm going to bring you to the feast of the king. This is the power of the new covenant. The keeping power of the new covenant. The saving power of the new covenant which is an everlasting covenant that Jesus seals and Jesus fulfills with His obedience, with His life, with His sacrifice. And so, let's just look at a couple points of application because I want us to, want to leave time to partake of these elements this morning and to do what we're talking about. So, Remember regularly the loving sacrifice of Jesus as the basis of your communion with God. Remember. Don't forget. Now there's a tendency, uh, that, as the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. There's a tendency as, as you, as you do certain things religiously, like partake of communion or pray or read your Bible or, or meet, in community groups, gather with other believers, there's a tendency to have a familiarity with God and with people and with those things that are, those, uh, practices that are really special and really meaningful. And sometimes they can lose meaning to us. We forget and we can do them mindlessly and ritualistically like I did as a young Catholic boy. You know, and stand up, sit down, you know, say, recite my prayer you know and 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 so i had I was going through religious motions as a boy, but I didn't have a a, a intimate personal relationship with God, communion with God until I really came to know Jesus personally in nineteen ninety eight and now the communion elements mean so much more to me. Because it's not just about me doing a ritual, standing up, sitting down, eating. Like and as a kid, I just wanted to, I was looking forward to getting a snack during the church, one hour church service, right? Like, let me go through the class, let me do whatever I gotta do so I can enjoy the snack. Give me extra, you know. Um, no, they wouldn't do that. So remember regularly the loving sacrifice of Jesus. Reflect on your spiritual state before God. So examining ourselves, asking the question, is it I, Lord? Is there any hurtful way in me? Search me, O God, reveal any wicked way, any hurtful way in me so the the Corinthians had developed some bad habits and so the lord 's supper uh was was in the early church was was celebrated in the context of a meal not not just not just you know the the bread and wine, but there, there's a meal, there's a gathering together and, and a meal. And so, uh, in, in Corinthians, the, um, Paul was having to address some, some misuses, uh, some, some disgraces that, that in within their context where those who had a lot were, were feasting, getting drunk, and, and those in the church who were poor didn't have much to eat were coming and there's those who have just overindulged and those who were coming to indulge and drink too much wine and eat too much food and forget about the meaning and the importance of this. And so Paul had to, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, give a whole instruction on what's supposed to happen at the Lord's table as the people of God gather. They were also misusing their spiritual gifts to put the emphasis on themselves rather than to build up. And so as I've said, when we partake of communion, we, we look back, we remember what Christ has done, we, we look forward, right? We proclaim his death until he comes. We look around, right? To the the body of Christ is around us. We're parts of the body of Christ. We're called to love one another. Paul gives a whole chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13 as he's addressing some of these issues in this dysfunctional church. And we're also to look within. We're to examine ourselves. See, we're examine our spiritual state, before God. And lastly, look forward is the last application point. Jesus said, I will not drink it again. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom. Jesus here is pointing to the kingdom to come. Right? Paul says, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. NT Wright says, the Eucharist is the moment at which the past event comes forward to live again in the present and the future moment of the Lord's return comes back in time to challenge us in the present. Read it again because it's a mouthful. The Eucharist is the moment of t- at time, at the moment at which the past event comes forward to live again in the present. And the future moment of the Lord's return comes backward in time to challenge us in the present. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We we remember. We're looking back. We're looking forward. But in this moment that we partake of these elements and we draw near to God, His presence is here with us and He meets us here. And we commune with god we have fellowship with god friendship with god intimacy with god closeness with god unless of course we just mindlessly partake of the elements and th- are thinking about lunch or thinking about something else and just go through it ritualistically you see this can be a catalyst for uh a, a, a something that strengthens strengthens our relationship with god let me close with two last things here too who is not to partake of the elements, okay? So here we we have an open, we have an open table here at, at City Church as far as partaking of communion. We're not policing this so much as some churches will do. Like like you, some churches, you gotta be a part of the church and you gotta go through certain requirements within that church. But communion is for believers, right? And we, we like to say it like this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you're not walking with the Lord, don't feel obligated to partake of the elements. You don't have to. Actually, we would we would recommend you not to. Um, But if you are a Christian and you're here, you know Jesus, then partake. Or if you're not a Christian and you're not right with God, then get right with God right now in this moment. Turn to him in faith and give up your sin. Come to Jesus in faith and experience his forgiveness right now and experience communion with God, friendship with God. That's why his body was broken. That's why his blood was shed so that you can be forgiven. So don't just deny it because you're not there yet. Take that step to be in right relationship with God. So the Heidelberg Catechism says for those who are truly, who should partake of the elements? For those who are truly sorrowful for their sins and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ. And that their remaining infirmities are covered by his passion and death. And who also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened in their lives more and more holy. Amen. Now who should not, Kevin would you come on up? Who should not partake of the element? J.C. Ryle says sinners living in open sin. Determine not to give it up ought on no account to come to the Lord's table. To do so is a positive insult to Christ and to pour contempt on his gospel. It is nonsense to to profess we desire to remember Christ's death while we cling to the cursed thing which made it needful for Christ to die. And so remember in the Corinthian church, Paul warned them, he said, there are some among you who are sick and who even have died because they're coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. They're dishonoring the Lord and the Lord's table. And they're dishonoring and disrespecting, devaluing those within the body of Christ. Not discerning the body. And so we come with reverence. We come with reflection. We remember. We come with humility. Humility. We come and find hope because of what Christ has done and gratitude is produced within us. Steve and Dick, would you guys be kind to pass out the elements for us? And if you would say, this is the Lord's body broken for you and his blood shed for you. So let's have a few moments of reflection and celebration of what Christ has done for us. If you need to confess any sin, if you have a guilty conscience here this morning. And you're like, "Whoa, I don't know about that. Those guys who got sick and died because they ate in an unworthy manner. I don't know if I should partake this morning." Well, that's a that's if you're in an unhealthy place and and you need to repent, then just do that. But put your faith in in Christ. Let go of your sin. Thank you. We're going to partake of these together here. So if you would just hold, hold your elements. I'm going to say a prayer. Father, we're grateful for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, and that on the basis of his finished work on the cross, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are redeemed and ransomed. We are yours and belong to you. We say you deserve our affection. You deserve our lives. You deserve it all. You've redeemed us by your mighty hand. You've forgiven us. And so may we live in response to that great love shown towards us. May we live sacrificially. May we live with Christ's likeness God. May we display the fruit of the Spirit in response to all you've done, in response to you living within us, your Spirit living within us. and in, in response to the great hope that we look forward to, may our lives overflow with your love and with your life into service to others.